come now, O God, and set us free. Set us free to be reconciled to you and one another. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please be seated. The sermon this morning, Fragments of Our Future, is based on the Isaiah 61 reading you heard. In, such, in some church buildings, you will find wooden pulpits at the center of the platform at the front of the church. The outside of this pulpit may be made of carved stone and can be shiny at times because it's polished. It often has a cross on the front of it in the middle and perhaps even has an embroidered cloth frontal hanging over it to add to its liturgical beauty. Some of these wooden pulpits have an opening on the back side of it when you stand behind it to speak, which means there's an inside section to it, usually with a shelf or two, that often that does not have a door on it. And so the back side of the pulpit is open to the view of the worship leaders on the platform, but not to the congregation. What you see on the inside of the pulpit may surprise you sometimes as you sit in a platform chair waiting to rise to proclaim God's word. Inside the pulpit, there might be an old glass of water that's been there for weeks, empty plastic water bottles all crushed up, a stack of ruffled papers, some crumbled up like trash, old worship bulletins in a pile, pieces of microphone equipment, a piece of an angel's wing from a Sunday school lesson, paper clips, pencils, a pen, used napkins or tissues, a handkerchief, one little empty plastic communion cup, and a bunch of other fragments of church life. On the outside of the pulpit, it is pristine and well manicured, but on the inside of the pulpit, it looks like a chaotic mess. Looks like a tornado hit congregational life. It's fragmented. Random pieces of the Christian life jumbled together inside a wooden pulpit not in public view, but definitely in the pastor's view. The inside of the pulpit is so often representative of the real church before our eyes. And this is where preachers stand to proclaim the gospel in view of the disarray of a congregation and its fragmentation. Some water in a glass, a crumbled sticky note, one white tissue paper, and an empty paper mint wrapper. Fragments of a church, fragments of our lives, not for everyone to see, but definitely the pastors inside the pulpit. But this is where the spirit moves, where the word of God is, where the anointing flows in the wilderness, in the brokenness, among the fragments 
and splinters of relationships and public school systems where the water and blood are spilled with the oppressed, brokenhearted, captives, prisoners, and those in deep mourning over COVID-19 deaths. The inside of many pulpits tells us more about ourselves than we might really want to acknowledge, which is why it's covered up from public view and we don't really talk about it. But the disarray of the inside of pulpits speaks to the inside worlds of not only church congregational life, but our own personal life as well. We are fragmented on the inside. The church is and we are as individuals. The inside of the pulpit is the underbelly, the subterranean world of a life walking with Jesus, not wide open for the world to see, but in the pastor's gaze. It is underground or hidden inside pulpits. Nonetheless, it is there. Our fragments, the ruins of our own lives, pieces of our past and present waiting to be rebuilt into something new. Hidden inside pulpits, but in the plain sight of God. And God knows we don't have everything together. We aren't whole, but fragmented. It's not all nice and neat like the outside of a polished wooden pulpit, but often like the inside of pulpits, discombobulated. What we live with are the fragments of our and others' lives, pieces of our and their story, but not the whole story because not all is public. Some details are hidden inside and private. Often we only notice what is shown or what we want to see or what is mentioned or what is obvious in public sight. We never get the whole story because we are not whole. We're in fragments, just trying to pull it together for another day during a pandemic to make sense of things, our lives, our marriages, our finances, our social networks, our work, our faith, our future. And what the lectionary does this week is remind us of our fragmentation. It only gives us a fragment of scripture. The truth is that's always the case with the lectionary. It only gives us fragments, bits and pieces of the Bible each Sunday, not the whole of scripture or even the whole story or narrative or chapter. It presents fragments. And maybe this is partly due to the fact that we live in a fragmented world, and that's all we can see or handle, fragments of the truth. Let me explain what I mean. The lectionary reading from Isaiah 61 includes verses 1 to 4 and 8 to 11, which you heard read. But it skips over verses 5 to 7. And you know what those verses say? Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners shall till your land and dress your vines. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of our God. You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you shall glory. 
because your shame was double and dishonor was proclaimed as your lot, therefore you shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be yours. Someone decided that it was okay to skip over the strangers and foreigners and not mention their plight. In this way, the, the lectionary builds a literary wall to ensure no foreigner slips through the border of purity that protects God's people. Thus, we only hear a fragment of the story. The spirit, the rebuilding of ruins, the promise of joy of a return from exile, and God's justice. But we don't hear that the strangers and foreigners are working in the fields, toiling on the land, while the religious people of God become privileged priests and ministers of God. Unknowingly, perhaps, the lectionary construct of choosing fragments creates a norm, a normative way of reading the world that is presented to be normal when it should not be. That is, we should not overlook strangers and foreigners especially when we're talking about rebuilding the future of our cities. Skipping over the strangers and foreigners working in the fields or on construction sites reminds us of our fragmented existence, our discrepancies in society, ancient and present. Who is mentioned or present or what is in view is not always what's important, but who's absent and never named or never seen can be what is most significant for the whole. If we never noticed this literary gap, we may forget the social and economic gaps in the world. That is that there are haves and have nots. That even during a pandemic of great devastation on so many levels, there are those thriving. There is much pain and prosperity during this time. Some are rejoicing over how the Dow in the stock market rises as others bow down into their grave due to disease and illness. And in this biblical context, the people of Israel are told that they will enjoy the wealth of the nations and in their riches you will glory, while the other the foreigner, the strangers are working in the fields and not necessarily experiencing the same enjoyment or riches. Buildings and cities are not the only things in ruins or fragments, but our lives are and have always been with these social gaps, discrepancies, disparities, oppression, and resulting broken heartedness. There is so much fragmentation that the good religious folks are wealthy and ordained ministers while the strangers and foreigners are field hands? Is there a caste system in Christ? Fragments are here in this story and the lectionary as designed only tells bits and pieces of the whole story of God to shape what we think is the reality. But the priests are separated from the poor and outcasts as if that is a good thing, a God thing, as if that is God's future for the whole, for all of us. The priests and pastors over here and the poor over there. 
This is how we get celebrity Christian culture and celebrity churches that have VIP sections for the rich and famous at the expense of the regular church-going crowd. This is how we get to where we are today with a theology that endorses a God who excludes the poor, the stranger, and foreigners, but protects the elite religious class and presents it all as God-ordained. Rather than say that, we prefer to skip over those details. But when we only have fragments of a story, pieces of the truth, and that's what's told or shown in public, we may not understand the way the world truly is and that we actually live among ruins, but instead see it as redemption because we don't know the whole truth, the light shining in the underground, in the subterrain of the spirit. If we skip over the strangers and foreigners in the field, in the Bible story, God help us but I can only imagine what we do in our everyday lives. The very people whom Jesus calls us to serve are overlooked in this lectionary passage, don't get the opportunity for that job interview or business prospect just because they are foreign and strangers and of course can't be the pure ministers of God, can't be priests because they are unclean due to being the unknown other. Yet we must remember, especially in this Advent season, that when Jesus comes, he's born in the fields, among the animals, among the shepherds, the flocks, the land, the vines, the foreigners and strangers. He's not born in the church house among all the religious people. He's born in Bethlehem, literally the bread house. The house of bread, a bread that crumbles and falls onto the floor for dogs to eat. A bread cut on a cross. Jesus is a stranger among strangers, and that's who's skipped over so often. That's who's never mentioned and perhaps never seen because they are out working in the fields, tending the flocks, cleaning our bathrooms, not at the welcome table of the privileged few. So when we hear of this new exodus for the people of Israel and of returning home after exile and rebuilding ancient ruins and repairing ruined cities, let's remember that this may not be good news for all. Home isn't always safe for everyone, and in this case, home isn't what it used to be, nor can it be since it's in ruins. There are only fragments from a past that will never be recovered or replicated. There is no return to normal. The freedom that has come looks like oppression for someone else, namely the strangers and foreigners. It's the inverse of what it was. The devastated now are the devastators. Is this really good news? How the oppressed become the oppressors over and over again in the history of the world? No wonder there is still mourning in this story, even in the return home, which is why the Spirit comes to comfort all who mourn. The people can never recover the past but they can only rebuild and repair what they have in the ruins. 
This isn't a historical refurbishment or restoration project. It is rebuilding, reconstruction. They can only recreate a future out of the ruins, out of the rubble, from communal and personal devastation. The buildings they once inhabited, now they hold their fragments in their hands. Their imagined futures have already changed with COVID-19. Not only will the buildings and cities look different, but their lives together will be different forever. Refashioning ruins involves physical structures and material lives because everything was ruined, but now everything will change. And change, even positive, can cause grief, faint spirits, mourning, and ashes. I mean, this is understandable. When everything is only a shadow of what it once was, when nothing will ever be the same and can't be the same, yet there is a future that will be built out of fragments from the ruins. Not only will cities be rebuilt, but a people who were ruined will be rebuilt too. For this is where God is at work. This is what the Spirit's anointing is for, to minister to the underside, the oppressed, the devastated, and ruined. Those suffering in the underbelly of religious practices living in the subterranean world of the Spirit. Even there, behind and inside wooden pulpits among the fragments, the Spirit blows an invisible underground redemption for us all to bring freedom for us all, not just the priests, but the poor. All of those little random fragments of church life inside a wooden pulpit that we may never see or know about are the symbolic stuff the Spirit uses to give us a future, to make a new future out of the old, one we've never imagined because it isn't old. During Advent, we yearn for the Messiah. We long for the anointed one to come and do what one does when the spirit of the Lord is resting on him. Make all things new, even out of rubble. Advent is a longing for God to make everything new. Not to make everything like the good old days, but to make it new and good for the oppressed, the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners and those sitting in the ashes of mourning or in a hospital room. Advent is when we yearn for Jesus to come and do ministry his way in the power of the Spirit, just like when he quoted Isaiah at the beginning of his ministry, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This Advent we call for the Spirit of Jesus to come because we need something new in the world, in our society, in our churches, in our politics, in our homes. We need the Spirit to anoint us, for when Jesus comes, he comes anointed. But no, this Spirit-filled work isn't easy, just as we saw with Jesus after he recites Isaiah, because eventually they wanted to run Jesus out of town. 
just like some people want to squeeze the spirit out of their lives. Yet Advent is a time for the spirit to come no matter what, to reform fragments and try to make a whole new body and life out of ruined pieces and random crumbs from inside a wooden pulpit. In many ways, we can echo Psalm 126 and say, we are like those who dream, not of a white Christmas, but of a day when the Spirit will come upon us and anoint us like the servants we've been called to be and join in the rebuilding work of God among the ruins of old. Only the Spirit can truly rebuild and restore what has been devastated. Our cities, our housing and education system, our economic ecology, our sense of belonging to each other as a human community, even your life. Real buildings and real lives need reconstructing and repairing because if we look around, we will see a land of ruins. It is physical and spiritual work together that is required, brick and mortar, brains and bowels. Our whole way of being needs to be made new. And Advent reminds us the Spirit will come to do it. And do it in such a way that while rebuilding and repairing cities, systems, and structures, the restoration of community is happening as well. Because to redeem the ruins of any place includes everyone, strangers and foreigners, field hands, not just wealthy religious types. So this Advent, my longing, my hope, is that in the rebuilding of ruined cities and ruined lives, all who have been devastated would participate in the reconstruction of our society. And we would finally experience the renewal of what it means to be in community so that none would be overlooked or skipped over or disregarded in the wealth and riches of our nations or as priests of God, especially the orphan, the widow, or the foreigner. I long for their full inclusion, for their coming, their advent to, into God's beloved community. I wait for this day to come and trust that it will and ask the spirit who moves in mysterious ways to come upon us and anoint us for this good ministry on earth that makes something new out of old ruins. But right now, all we have are fragments of our future, bits and pieces of it, but not the whole future with a real coming together, a a real presence of communion where all are free and enjoy the riches of God. But this is what we get at the Lord's Supper anyway, pieces of bread. Not the whole body of Christ at once, but fragments, crumbs, because God's redemption of the world is is not yet fully consummated, not yet whole. We don't see it all because some of the pieces have not yet been revealed. They are hidden inside, outside, or plainly overlooked, but all in the horizon of God's good future. And God uses the ruins 
the fragments of old to make something new for the good future yet to come. To be in ruins is terrible, and the future will not be a repeat of the past. It is gone and will never be the same. But in forming the fragments together, something beautiful can emerge from our hands and our heads and our hearts. There can be good news for the oppressed and healing for the brokenhearted and liberty for the captives and release to the prisoners and comfort and gladness for those who mourn and a garland for ashes and a mantle of praise for faint spirits. Something beautiful can come from the terrible. Redemption out of the ruins. At the Lutheran Church in Bethlehem, they have a gift shop. And in that shop, they, they sell these. They sell angel Christmas tree ornaments. What's so special about these ornaments is that they are created out of broken glass from broken glass bottles or glass broken from their ruined building after parts of it was destroyed by an attack. From pieces of rubble, from fragments of metal, from ruins of glass rises a sign of redemption, an angel of light. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall repair the ruined cities. There will be a new future created from the fragments of our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.